Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. Today we hear from sister co-founder Jane Featherstone about how she's planning for a different future ahead and from Belinda Campbell, joint MD at Red Planet Pictures, who considers the long-term future of traditional broadcasters in the face of increased competition from streamers. If you've something you'd like to talk about, drop us a line to press at c21media.net. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like the podcast, please give us a review. Every little helps. My name's David Jenkinson. Thanks for listening. Sister co-founder Jane Featherstone believes we've grown closer to nature and yet more reliant on technology during the pandemic. And she thinks this will have an impact on the stories she brings to the screen going forwards. I caught up with her to find out what she thinks the impact of COVID will be on the long-term future of television. I, I don't think we know what the pandemic is going to do for the world, honestly, yet. I think it's too early to say. I think we're responding to it in practical terms. You know, it's delayed production and we're starting again and that's difficult. But in a bigger sense of what kind of storytelling and how we consolidate and what we do, um, I suppose what I've learned and what I'm trying to understand from it, that it, it, it's made us a smaller world in many ways, but it's also exposed division in many different places. So I feel there's a paradox at the heart of all of it. And you feel, you know, we've become closer to nature, but at the same time, we've become more reliant on technology. So everywhere I look for understanding and answers, I I see division and separation at the same time. So I don't know, honestly, I suppose for me, a part of the learnings and a part of the change is about um, it's given us time to think about purpose and an ethical understanding. And I do think there's a big reset in our industry and in many industries about that. I think that will be an important theme to discuss and be aware of in the coming years, as it should be. Things are starting again or stop starting again, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. What's the experience like for you at the moment coming, coming out of things and trying to get things moving again? What sort of challenges are you forced to address first? I think it's been extremely challenging for everybody. There isn't one person around the world who hasn't had some complicated experience as a result of this um, pandemic. But we are now remounting on four big shows, I think. Um, The Power will go first, I think, and followed up by the other things soon after. Uh, What's hard is we can't travel anymore. We can't do anything like um, the same level of person-to-person collaboration. Our business, as you know, is very human-based. It's about people having conversations in rooms. So there are all those practical challenges. I think we're also trying to deal with the editorial of how do we tell stories that are still relevant? Do we include COVID in our stories? Do we not? If you were starting... So there's all of those sorts of things. Um, Fundamentally, I think audiences will want some things that do address it some programming they'll want that does have some mirror effect and looks at the pandemic and helps them understand it but I also think they'll want things that don't have anything to do with it at all so you know the appetite for diverse storytelling is still there I think but it's you know it's going to be difficult and none of us really know how we can quite sustain this model of production over the next few months because it's it's pretty um controlled and our industry is quite creative so you know there's a tension but We'll get there. We have to. A lot of anxiety came to the fore during this period of time, perhaps because we were all given a little bit more time to to, to be conscious of it and Black Lives Matter and the mums movement and uh, an increased awareness about environmental issues. How how do you think the world has changed? Are we in a different world post-COVID? And in what sort of ways can television be part of the solution rather than 
potentially part of the problem going forward. What, 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 what's, how's its role changed, I suppose, is the question. I think we are most unquestionably in a different world with post-COVID. We absolutely are. Um, I, I think, you know, democracy is at risk. Capitalism is at risk. You could look at the second world. That's a good thing or a bad thing. But there are changes coming and there are some reckonings coming. And what television has amongst all forms of storytelling, actually, and I would include in that, as you know, sister, we don't just do television, there's film and there's podcasting and there's publishing and there's comic, but there's all sorts of different things. I think storytellers have always reflected the world, had insight into the world, looked into the future, helped us to think, make sense of this. As far as I can see, writers look at the world, the chaos of it, and try and help us understand it. So I think more than ever, we will need to do that now. The, the writers post this period. Um, we also have to be independent. We have to be truthful. You know, television as a news source and as an information source is absolutely critical. So to make sure that in an unregulated world of, of news media, that we do support the regulated media outlets. I'm really, really passionate about that. It's really important. Um, and that we keep telling stories that challenge and push and that, you know, provoke people and are difficult. The problem with scripted, which is largely our business, as you know, David, it's very slow. And so we can think of things now and a writer will come with a great idea, but you know, something like Chernobyl took four years to get to screen. And so we, we have to be a bit more nimble than that in some ways um, and look at the bigger themes, I think, as well as simply short answers to what's happening now. In terms of where new projects are set, the sort of almost the time and the space that they're set in, what's the challenge going forward? Because I imagine that to set a, a story in contemporary times, uh, COVID would be conspicuous by its absence. H how do you deal with that? Do you set things in different places, different times, or, or deal with it in, as part of the, the here and now? We don't know how we're going to deal with COVID yet, honestly, in story terms, because none of us know where it's going to end. So if we do get a vaccine next spring, which you know we're all hopeful about, and the world can revert to some form of normal, that will probably be where we locate the contemporary stories. Um, what we're not doing now is necessarily putting COVID deeply into every project that we're doing in academia because we don't know how things are going to feel in six months' time. So honestly, we haven't got a clue. What did you? What were your big takeaways from the, the, the from, from 2020? What was your sort of more personal journey, perhaps? What did you have time to reflect on? Did you did you make any changes about what you thought about the company? The sorts of way that it wants to go the sort of way you want to go was there any reset button pressed or yeah i mean i hoped when we set up sister you know sister pictures five years ago and then sister a year ago um that we already had at its heart a, a core set of values that were about inclusivity that were about quality excellence craftsmanship giving the writers a platform being independent of all the big studios and the streamers which meant we could take the best story to the best place um, so I believe we had those things at our heart already, but it's made it really clear to me the sense of purpose that we need to give our staff and our crew and that, you know, we have to look at the way that the business is run. How fair is it? How inclusive is it? We definitely need to do more work on that. Absolutely no question at all. Um, and we need to work harder at making sure that the stories that are representing everybody are on screen and that, you know, we genuinely give opportunity. We don't pay lip service anymore. We've, you know, there's no more excuses. And I think that reflection time 
has been great for that. And I think also we have to understand the balance of people's lives, you know, that our industry makes people work extremely hard. And that's very satisfying to those of us who love to work really hard. But we have to understand that people have lives and families and those things too. And I definitely think it's been a good reset in that respect. Uh, it, it seems that as we were coming into this crisis, there was a change in the structure of the business anyway. The streamers were becoming more dominant and commercial television was struggling more too. Um, how do you think that the pandemic or, the, or, or 2020 generally has accelerated change? And how do you see the landscape evolving uh, going forward? I think there's no doubt that the pandemic has accelerated streamer viewing. I mean, I think it's something, there's an enormous statistic, isn't there? I haven't got it to hand at the moment, but it's a huge percentage increase for streaming um, viewing. And, um, and live viewing has stayed stable. I don't think it's gone down massively, but streamers have gone up. There's no question now this has re-educated the public, you know, in a way that was five years ahead of where we might have been without a pandemic, I think, or maybe three years. Um, so there's no doubt the way we sit and watch TV is completely different. We're watching live television for sport and news and perhaps some other particular event TV, um, fiction, scripted documentaries. We look to the streamers pretty much all the time now. So we're obviously going to look at a time now where um, will we be looking to the streamers for live shows as well? What's going to happen to the commercially funded organisations? Can they sustain on just sport and just news? Who knows? Um, I, I feel that the creative uh, industry, the, the talent, the creators, the, the people who actually make the work in terms of fiction in particular and documentaries are so crucial and the artists don't always love to be part of a massive organisation. They tend to, they're bought in and then they tend to um, disappear again and they you know follow the artists there's always what they say in a, in a city isn't it where do the artists live go where they live because that will be the next place to you know and I I think um, the big organizations have to be careful that they can hold on to the talent they've got because money won't do it anymore I think we'll need more than just money people will want purpose and they'll want to enjoy it and they'll want to collaborate and so those organizations that can offer that um, where profit isn't the only driver and money isn't the only thing I think really will have a head start in this new business. When you're um, creating shows now and deciding who to talk to about those shows, clearly the order has changed, the pecking order has changed, but how, how has it changed? And are you as likely to talk to a terrestrial channel as a streamer now when developing something? Or, or what's the creative and commercial tension around those conversations? So when we develop projects, we pretty much, on nearly all of them, develop everything in-house to a script and Bible level before we go out to the market not on everything but i would say you know 19 out of 20 projects we develop like that now so we pay for the script we're capitalized to be able to do that we develop everything in-house um, the reason for that being that i want the creator to be able to be free to create the piece in its true form as they see it before targeting it to a buyer and um, and then we find the home so that will be honestly the driver of it for me if we get a piece that feels like do you know what that should be bbc3 iplayer that's where we'll go with it. If it should be, this feels like a Netflix piece, often we'll go to people, three or four people at the same time, um, if you've got a project that's worthy of that. Um, so we're really flexible. And again, that's part of being independent. I don't have any requirement to have to go to one or the other. I like to spread the bets a bit. I quite like a broad <laughs> canvas so that we work with multiple buyers. Um, we've got three or four projects with the BBC at the moment. 
two are co-productions. We've got two with Sky, they're co-productions, The Baby and Landscapers, and we've got, you know, so I, I think, um, yeah, I like the, the multiple approach from my point of view, but it's driven by the creative. It's just driven by the project always. Uh, how do you think your business will change post 2020? Uh, if, if 2020 hadn't happened, would it have been a different business? And how will it be different because of what's happened over the past seven or eight months? I, I think the, the business is changing. Uh, what, in terms of how we develop projects and take them out, as I said, we normally would absolutely follow the creative for the project. However, there will become, I think, exceptions to that when uh, sometimes the deal that the buyers are offering is so bad to the IP creators um, and the people who actually make the show. If there's a competitive environment, then you can get some change in the deal terms, perhaps, you know, between the streamers even, who want to own everything and distribute everything, as you know, frequently. Um, so I think that will change. The more buyers there are, the more flexibility there's going to be around these deals, which I think is a good thing. I think that that's a, a good thing. Um, and in terms of the bigger change, I, 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 we, we have to just keep pushing the envelope of innovation and keep trying to find, you know, I don't even like to think what the audience might want to watch, honestly, because who knows? I follow my instinct and the instincts of my brilliant team. We've got a fantastic team of creatives and production staff who, when you like something, you get that thing where you run across the office and go, I love this. And I don't even know why half the time. And you combine that then with great talent. So we just follow the, follow the talent, follow the creatives always is my tip for everything. Things I've learned over the past few months, I feel very clear that I want to work with people I like and respect and for all the right reasons and there's no room for nonsense and um, complicated behaviour and uh, we, we, we all, people can be challenging and complex and wonderful and infuriating but we need to work with good people and that's really 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 key and I, I think if ever you know if something like this makes you look around and assess fortunately I feel we are and I, there's not a corner we're not so I think it's okay but that's going to be an absolute priority for us as we go forward. Um, enabling for me personally I've, I've understood probably now at my place in the industry you know you like to think you're one of the new guns for quite a long time and then suddenly you realize you're a veteran and that uh you know the old adage of i've got to throw the ladder back down for the people coming up i've always wanted to believe that but now more than ever it's given me a bit of a distance and i have to absolutely ensure that that ladder is thrown down and to the right people and to places that people aren't normally going to be able to get up that ladder and that we create pathways that are meaningful, funded and proper for inclusivity. And so as a company, we're really doing a lot of work on that um, to making sure that we're going to be the best we can be. We're not yet. Uh, I'm not, it's, it's a, you know, it's not a quick fix. It's a long-term aim. Um, so I think that's absolutely critical. And, you know, the things that you talked about at the beginning, the, the changing world, climate change, the world, we, these things, we can't ignore them anymore. And it's not worthy or boring or, you know, to think about these things. It's critical. It should be core. Cool. We've got to think about all that stuff and still have fun and work with people we love. Fiction has the ability to shine a light in truth's eye and really make us understand things that we can't always when the reality around us is there, but when fiction can do that. 
So um, I think it's really, I think it's exciting. I think we're, we're also hopefully nurturing a, a generation of activists in the young people, you know, the 16 year olds, they have been activated in this time. And that's an amazing thing to see. Um, and perhaps for many years, we were all a little comfortable and we didn't feel the need to look outside of our own world. And this has forced us to do that. And this generation of 16 to 25 years, they're really cross and that's really great. I want to see more cross people. And I love seeing more writers who are cross. They've got something to say, not cross with us, but cross with the world. Um, that's what we want. We need to, you know, cross, make you laugh, cry and angry. I think that's what we're aiming for. Jane Featherstone. Belinda Campbell, joint MD at Red Planet Pictures, is back shooting Death in Paradise for BBC One. As we go in and out of lockdown, she continues to manage the tricky task of keeping the wheels turning while being conscious of the changing nature of production and the kind of show she wants to make in future. I caught up with her to find how she's coping. Red Planet Pictures was luckier than some because Death in Paradise, which was due to start filming in April, actually had insurance for... Uh, pandemics. So it was really a question of uh, us just biding our time until and making, you know, the proper preparations until we could get back into production, which we did at the end of July. We were one of the first single camera um, dramas to start filming again out in Guadeloupe. Um, and it was down to sort of, I have to say, I think that the the industry as a whole has has reacted to this amazingly by coming together, by collaborating, by sharing information, by sharing knowledge. And I think all of that really did enable everyone to sort of, you know, to, to really gather intel um, and then to make it happen. So uh, that's what we did. We started filming at the end of July um, and it's all going pretty well at the moment. Although obviously there are some considerable obstacles that need to be overcome on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, primarily in keeping people safe uh, and ensuring that the costs of doing so don't spiral uh, completely out of control. What are the tips and tricks that you can share about how to get production started again successfully? I imagine that you've had all sorts of challenges on a, a sort of a regular basis. Well, what have you sort of done to ensure that you can get things moving as quickly and as safely as possible? Obviously, the thing that's of paramount importance is safety. Um, and so an awful lot of time, my co-MD, Alex Jones, who looks after the business and production side of things, is very involved in PACT. Uh, and there were a lot, a lot of calls amongst um, all the all of the production companies, all sharing the information uh, about, what, uh, about what needed to be done. So I just think, you know, we know what we have to do. We know that we have to observe social distancing. We know that we have to use PPE. We know that we have to sort of plan our scripts carefully to ensure that there is limited sort of, you know, contact between casts. So scripts have been rewritten and directors have sort of thought differently about how they might shoot something to enable us to, to um, you know, to properly honor that in, in France, it's actually a meter distance rather than uh, two meters. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's just, it's being incredibly thorough, very, very methodical, um, leaving nothing to sort of chance. I mean, obviously we're an industry which always plans for the worst and hopes for the best. Uh, and so, you know, we were well equipped to actually really think about, uh, you know, the minutiae of what we needed to do to ensure sort of safety, because, you know, it, it's obviously of, of, of paramount importance. We're quite lucky with Death in Paradise because obviously a lot of it is shot outdoors. Um, and that makes a real 
difference and also there is no intimacy um, or not really any to speak of and um, you know it's not period so that again so there, there are factors um, by which we have been luckier than some and because obviously we shoot on an island and because we test people before they go and because we test people after they arrive we then sort of form a bit of a bubble when we're out there um, and I think these are the things that you have to do every production is different dependent on where they are shooting and who they are shooting with and you know many 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 factors so I think every production company has adapted slightly what packed as a general um, body uh, work together to kind of come up with these these guiding principles. So it's been it's been incredibly efficient, um, and I think uh, you know very you know very impressive. But um, you know it's a it's a creative industry, so people think creatively about coming up with uh, these solutions. What do you think the general market in which you're operating is feeling at the moment, and how is that changing now as opposed to how it was in the middle of the pandemic? I have to say, the conversations that I've been having with commissioners during and since we got uh, back up and running are, are, are really positive. I mean, I think that there are challenges. Uh, you know, there is a massive backlog, for example, of shows that they didn't shoot this year that they will need to make and put out on air. So it's going to impact on the business because there are going to be less slots. So that is a frustration. I think also um, the commissioners are going to have a lot more reading to do uh, because every single production company was very, very busy doing development. So I think that, you know, they're going to be sport for choice in terms of what they take forward. But it's going to be a while before people can make really, really bold commitments about what it is they are going to make. Because whilst we have a, whilst the government has given us, you know, we have some form of insurance um, guarantee now, it's it, it's kind of limited. It's for a finite period, as I understand it. I think it's sort of you have to be up and running before December, and you have to finish before June. Um, and obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but you have to spend most of your money in this country. So those more international UK commissions might possibly struggle. So I think there are all manner of things which have to be kind of constantly. Um, factored in and 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 dealt with. So um, yeah, challenges ahead. Um, but we need some new television. Uh, we need to make some television. So I'm sure solutions will be found. What was your own experience of the pandemic like? Um, we we had the opportunity to press the pause button quite firmly. I think didn't we? I mean, I'm sure all of us were working harder than we've ever worked before. But in the time, it was almost a different sort of franticness, wasn't it? I mean, what what do you think that you um, did? You make any changes in terms of what you thought you wanted to do with the business or the sorts of productions you wanted to make in that I'm time? It's about work, not about my life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, but it's sort oh. of the two play. There's two play into each other, don't um, they? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it was such a strange time back in March. It feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it, really? Um, and it's almost like we could see it coming, but we couldn't quite believe what was going to happen. And um, so, yes, I mean, we took pretty decisive action 
we sort of actually shut the, the office down the week before, you know, we were instructed to do so. Um, we didn't furlough anyone. We were very sort of keen to look after the staff as long as we could. Um, as long as we had revenues coming in via sort of sales or whatever, it, it, it was possible to do. So we were sort of shoring ourselves up, uh, doing housekeeping. It did sort of shift things and we are now along with every other company thinking about the whole argument about office space i think it is fantastic for people who don't live in london to be able to have a better work-life balance because that obviously all feeds into people's pr productivity and um, we enjoyed that little that little fleeting moment when we could go back into the office and i think everyone was delighted to be able to have meetings face to face because actually on balance there is no substitute for particularly creatively uh, for meeting with people uh, and actually thrashing thrashing things out on a white wall behind you. So I don't think that working from home is ever going to be the full time um, uh, alternative, but we can work flexibly because we've, we've proved that it works. Has it changed the sorts of programmes that you think you'll make going forward? And do you think it's changed the sorts of programmes that audiences will want to watch going forward, all this time that we've had to get through Netflix or to <laughs> get through everything else? <laughs> God, honestly, um, I, think in, I think in terms of what people want to watch, I think people for very many reasons need, um, you know, need entertainment at the moment. Um, and that could be anything from, you know, the bodyguard to you know, to death and paradise, to Shit's Creek or, or whatever. I mean, I think there is a, I think people are hankering after um, things that make them feel better. Um, so, so do I want, would it change what I make? Not really, because I think that's what people want now. And I think that will change again. I don't think you can ever afford to be reactive. I think you just have to concentrate on making great content. Um, but I think it's it's sort of interesting, you know, so much of, of, of what we do is about timing, isn't it? You know, brilliant shows go sort of, you know, overlooked because they just they just didn't land. Um, you know, again, Death in Paradise it, in, in the first series, it was on in October um, and it did you know, pretty well. But the next series, it was on in uh, January and it just exploded because come January people could do with a with a bit of sunshine so I do think you know I, I I think timing has an awful lot to do with things so you know Schitt's Creek doing so brilliantly to what extent is that to do with the fact that people just want that joy and that reassurance I think that things will continue in uh, the direction that they have that, that we have been traveling in I think that there is an ever-increasing demand for the high-end which doesn't necessarily have to mean the massive budget, but I think that the sort of the, the approach to novelized serial drama, um, you know, shows no signs of, of slowing down because, you know, people want to watch what they want to watch when they want to watch it. Um, and it does feel like the public service broadcasters are going to have to catch up with that um, if they're, you know, going to retain their position. How do you see the shape of the market changing over the next two or three years? And 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 what do you think the relationship between streamers and or a traditional broadcaster or cable? How do you think that's all going to play out and change going forward? I find it really hard to. I, I know people have have talked about how the relationship is going to change and how streamers are going to stop investing in terrestrial television. 
they haven't done that yet. They seem to be continuing to, uh, you know, enjoy the co-production model. Um, I think that I think it's going to be on a case by case basis. Honestly, I think that um, I think that the one thing that the pandemic has absolutely proved, as if we didn't already know it, is that content is king. There can never be enough. Uh, good material on, you know, on on television. So I think that I think the streamers will continue to do what they do, which is to provide that sort of local output with a global appeal. And I think our public service broadcasters will continue what is an incredibly successful uh, model for them to make the sort of the local programs, which are, you know, which tell the sort of the story of Britain, but then might also have a uh, a more global appeal as well. So I think, you know. I, I think the key thing, as I say, that's going to be different is making output that can be binged, which is that sort of novel, novelized approach to uh, to storytelling. So people can just sort of sit and watch what they want to watch uh, on whatever device they want to watch it when they when they want to watch it. And um, obviously, the BBC that there have been suggestions that they're going to create genre heads rather than channel heads, which will enable them to commission um you know across all the different platforms and that sort of seems to suggest that this is the direction of travel belinda campbell that's all for today's show we hope you're safe and well wherever you are and getting back to some kind of new normal my name's david jenkinson thanks for listening